I show up at DARPA, I'm a 30-year-old woman without a bio degree proposing to do these crazy projects about engineering biology and creating new biological functions in an office of electrical engineers, mostly men, all 40s and 50s. And one of those individuals said to me, we're still trying to figure out what you're doing here. <laughs> so what did you say? I'm here to do what I came to do. That's Alicia Jackson, founder and CEO of EverNow. I'm Maureen Taylor, and this is Think Like a Founder. I've worked with Alicia for a few years now, even before she started her latest company, EverNow, which aims to solve menopause. That ambitious goal aside, there's always been a relentlessness to Alicia's approach to problem solving and how she experiences the world. Once she sees a problem, she can't and won't stop until she solves it. There's simply no other choice for her. Alicia always wanted to be a writer, but under the steward of a dedicated biology teacher, she found a deep love for science. Fast forward, and Alicia was on track for a life in academia as a PhD candidate at MIT. Then one day she had an aha moment. I asked her how that impacted what she did next. It was probably around my third or fourth year of my PhD. And at MIT, it's a place where the highest and best thing you could ever become is another academic. And it was one day just working late in the lab. And my professor was there as well with me, my, my PhD advisor. And you could just tell there was no other place he wanted to be. And all I could think was, I can't wait to get out of here. And that was the beginning of the realization that if I was going to choose this path, this needed to be the place I wanted to be all the time. And then it was like, oh, shit, what do I do? Because you always thought that that was your road. Academic life was always my goal. So then what did you do? I know you went and got into the government as if that would be more exciting than I know, the academic I know. Goals. That was never where I pictured myself going. Like a lot of things in life, you just have these special moments that occur that you have to recognize something is happening and take advantage of it. And I happened to be at a dinner where the president of MIT at the time, Susan Hockfield, was attending, and I got to sit next to her. And we were talking about what my research was and what I hope to do after my PhD. And I said, well, I'm not quite sure because I don't want to be an academic. And she said, well, let me introduce you to the new head of our science policy office, Bill Bonvillian. And the two of us met and hit it off. He encouraged me to apply for what's known as the AAAS Congressional Fellowship, in which it places PhDs fresh out of school into congressional offices. And I applied and received a congressional fellowship and ended up going and working for the Senate Energy Committee. Committee will come to order. I worked for the Senate for three years, first as a fellow. Look, when I went there, I just thought, I'm just going to try this out. And I arrived and suddenly I thought, wow, these are my people. They were super smart, intelligent, young people and older people, very well versed in their topic area, but also great at coming together and figuring out really good policies for the United States, which was very energizing to work on something that had that big picture scope. The frustrating part about it was that even if you worked and pushed through and built coalitions around great policy, politics often could come in and immediately shut it down. 
Alicia was connected with someone who suggested looking into the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, better known as DARPA. As many of you know, DARPA is an agency within the Department of Defense, and they're responsible for developing emerging technologies for use by the military. This wasn't a path Alicia had considered. And I was like, DARPA, what are you talking about? I never thought about going to work for the defense industry or national security. I had just never pictured myself going into that. But I started to look into it and was really excited by their mission, which was to make big investments in breakthrough technologies to create or prevent technological surprise for the United States, which is a pretty awesome mission. This is a windy road to founder creating something from scratch from an idea of solving a problem or do you connect all this and it's the perfect roadmap to what you started to do and then what you're doing now in the middle of it it did feel very windy and it was kind of like what am I doing each one of these things is really great but you can imagine showing up at each place everyone thought it was a little weird given where I had come from one of my favorite anecdotes is I show up at DARPA I'm a 30 year old woman without a bio degree, proposing to do these crazy projects about engineering biology and creating new biological functions in an office of electrical engineers, mostly men, all 40s and 50s. And one of those individuals said to me, we're still trying to figure out what you're doing here. (laughs) So what did you say? I'm here to do what I came to do. So when you think of that experience, windy or not, What was it about all of them that they had in common that led you to actually starting your own business? Each of them involved a leap into something new and unknown, where I didn't have core expertise or background. So first was from academia into policy, which I knew nothing about. Then it was policy into investing on behalf of national security, which (laughs) I knew nothing about. Even during that, it was about Proposing investments in spaces, which I knew very little about. If I have this opportunity to go make something big happen that wouldn't happen otherwise, this is the thing that we should be doing. Were you this weird and curious when you were little? Yes. Your poor parents. My poor parents. They, they really didn't know what to do with me. I was nothing like them. I had the best time in the world in high school because I didn't really care about any of my classes. I just had a lot of weird friends, and so we'd sit around kind of teaching each other things. So liking things you don't know something about was a pattern. And then how did you know that you wanted to go to MIT or go that way? For the longest time, I actually thought I was going to be a writer. But then in the middle of high school, as things happened, I had a teacher in writing or in English that I did not particularly get along with. And then I had a phenomenal biology teacher. And that's what swung me into the sciences. It was more the teacher than the subject matter. Well, it also doesn't mean you can't be a writer. There are other talents that are developed one year at MIT. Super rigorous, lots of logical thinking, tenacity to have to get through and compete with the top people in the world, but also learning, learning that you can do anything. It's been like that ever since. I always look for the really big things that are also hard. I find that challenge so fun. And I find working with other people who are brilliant on those challenges, like candy, the best thing in the world. What is the first thing that attracted you to thinking, oh, maybe I can build this? I had actually thought about it a lot when I was at DARPA. 
because I had funded some phenomenal entrepreneurs that I just fell in love with. I fell in love with who they were and what they were building and how they thought about the world and their ability to make something new happen that had never existed before. And watching that happen was just like, oh, I really want to do that. And I had done different versions of that throughout my path. I had done some version of it in creating new policies in, in Congress. I had done some version of it in building new programs at DARPA. But I wanted to finally be the person on the ground doing it. That was the thing I was hungry for. Through a series of timely conversations and connections, Alicia had the opportunity to bring her entrepreneurial spirit to a health project she'd been researching at DARPA. She started working with GE Ventures, a branch of General Electric. She came to the West Coast from DC and had the opportunity to do what she was hungry to do, to be the decision maker, the driver, the visionary. But it was too good to be true. What happened? They had a vision for what this company would become. But an entrepreneur has a vision for what they're going to build the company into. And those things are necessarily at odds. Because the goal of an entrepreneur is to discover what this company is going to be. You have a vision in your mind. I'm going to create this whole new way of tracking health and disease. But GE had a very different vision for what they had invested in. And so anytime those two things came into conflict, there was a greater conflict around what my role was there, what the company was doing, was that the right path? What did I learn about myself? I'm building this company the way it needs to be built, the way that I think is best because I'm the founder, which meant no matter what, I was always fighting to do what I believed was the right thing for the company. So a perfect scenario. You brought out to Silicon Valley, you get to be an entrepreneur for GE Ventures. It didn't quite go the way you thought it was going to go. You found out something about yourself. Yes, I found out that I am a founder through and through and that I'd always been a founder. And it was this experience where I wasn't able to be that thing that I realized what I wanted to do and what the necessary environmental conditions needed to be to enable me to do those things. You did part ways soon after this, but there's good news about uh, what you came together for. Yes, the company is still successfully running, and the device that we created and put through the FDA was just approved by the FDA for use. That's which awesome. Which is, it's phenomenal. We built something great, and I'm so proud of it. Alicia's passion drives her in her approach to everything she does. There's a fierceness, a determination, and grit to how she approaches what's in front of her. And when she sees the problem to be solved, there's nothing else she can focus on, just like her latest company. I'm working on solving menopause. You want to solve menopause? I want to reverse menopause. And just so everyone's aware, menopause occurs around the age of 51. And what happens is a woman's estrogen levels go from 100% of their normal levels all the way down to nearly zero. And you can imagine that hormones being a very powerful thing, that sudden precipitous drop results in a lot of acute symptoms and long-term symptoms that women have to deal with. And for some women, it is extremely dangerous. And what prompted you to solve this particular problem? I came across some very interesting work that talked about reversing menopause. 
And the minute I heard that phrase, reversing menopause, I just sat up and said to myself, what are these people talking about? How can you reverse menopause? This is a one-way street. How can this even be possible? I learned that the age at which you go through menopause is directly correlated to how long you will live. If you go through menopause later, you will live longer. How has no one been talking about this? How is there not a ton of investment? How is not everyone focused on this? And all I could think to myself was, this is it, right here, menopause. Okay, so you've put together this wonderful company and you've been working on it for a while. And one of the things that inspires me about the effort is just the group of people that you've brought together and the passion that they exhibit and the work that they do. And you have values. There's values to your company. And what are they? They are intellectual integrity, which is every woman and everybody within the company deserves the truth. Number two is empathy which is we're there to serve all women and to serve and to be there for them and for their health, no matter what. And then number three is wit, because you have to have a good time in life. <laughs> so this is the funniest one, coming up with wit, W-I-T. That means a sense of humor about menopause. So first of all, to be able to talk about it, it's not like it's a big secret, and to be have a sense of humor about it. That's really cool. Now, just as a founder, developing a team and growing and having success, how do you think now that you're in a place, the road's not as windy, you're where you're supposed to be, obviously passionate, doing good for the world. It's going to take a while to solve it. So you have that brick wall that you get to pound up against. Tell us about your thinking. The interesting thing is I feel calmer than ever. I like the stress of building a company. And this was a very odd thing to learn. And I, I learned it a little bit at GE, and I've even seen it here, which is there are some people who find the process of raising money or building a company with a short timeline or coming up against problem after problem and then solving it, but then having a next problem, exhausting and stressful. And this just feels right. I never feel panicked. I never feel anxiety. It's just like, okay, we're on the path. We're building what needs to be built. We'll figure out how to build it. Are you having fun? Yes. Most of the time. <laughs> when are you not having fun? The beginning is such a blast, right? It's all vision. You've raised your money. You're gathering up your people. You have maybe a year, year and a half, two years of runway. And you're, you're building the vision. And then you start to have reality happen. You have less runway, and when things are more real, it's easier to see the issues and the challenges. You also start to have the personality conflicts, or you start to realize that maybe you did make the wrong decision in a product decision six months ago, and then you have to just live with it and deal with it. And so those are, those are just harder things. Mostly dealing with the people management is the hardest thing that there is. There are people out there listening that think that they're a founder, perhaps, or they have passion and they want to solve something. What advice would you give them? Put yourself in the most difficult position you can. And by that, I mean not a dysfunctional position. Mm -hmm. I mean, really go try to do something super hard because that's what being a founder is. Whether it's, I'm going to go try to join this company that's doing something impossible, or I'm going to go try and learn something that feels impossible. 
all being a founder is, is being able to articulate a vision and then overcome barrier after barrier to get there. That's it. And you have to be able to do that. And if you can't keep yourself motivated for a long time, years, to be able to go and do that, being a founder is not for you. Mm -hmm. I think you said it. Founders are crazy people. I don't know that you can be taught it. It really does feel very innate in terms of how you view the world. There's a thought that like an artist or an author or a musician, that a founder, somebody who wants to build something or has that kind of passion, it's very similar, that the crazy part is you can't help it. Nothing will stop you. It may manifest in other ways than building a company. I do think that you might be in government and come up with a totally new policy that you want to put into place. You might be at a big company and start a huge new initiative there. I think that there are other ways that being a founder does manifest. At the same time, I think there's nothing better than being in control of your own destiny as a founder. That's the truest form of it. Mm -hmm. There's no one else. Mm -hmm. You don't have a boss. There's no one else to fall back on. But yet that's like the greatest feeling in the world is that it's just you and your team. And so it's all on you, which is also like a freeing thing, mm -hmm. which is this is great. We can make this happen. The freedom of that ability to be able to do what you're passionate about yes. is on one side of the balance. The other side is it is lonely. It is lonely. And how do you deal with that? There's something deeper here, which is that's just part of it. It does fall to you. It does feel lonely and an enormous amount of responsibility. But that's okay. That's what you signed up for. That's also the thing that's driving you to build, to build the great thing. Nobody else saw this before you. That was lonely too. Alicia, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Maureen. That was Alicia Jackson, founder and CEO of EverNow, a woman's health company. EverNow provides access to expert physicians who specialize in menopause, all through an accessible telemedicine platform. For more information, see evernow.co. Join us next time on Think Like a Founder when I talk with Roderick Morris, co-founder of Love Every, a child development toy company. We talk about how becoming a parent shifted his approach as a founder, his time in the Peace Corps, and his dream job as an orchestra conductor. I'm Maureen Taylor. Thanks for listening. And this is Think Like a Founder. Think Like a Founder is produced by SNP Communications in San Francisco, California. Learn more by visiting us at snpnet.com or connect with me, Maureen Taylor, on LinkedIn to continue the conversation there. Series producer is Roisin Hunt. Sound design by Mark Ream. Creative producer, Eli Shell. Content and scripting by Mike Sullivan. Production coordination, Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Selena, Persiani Shell, John Hughes, and Ren Barra. This is Think Like a Founder.